and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Analysis Interview. My name is David Seymour and today I am being joined by Andy Parslow, who is the AFC Wimbledon uh, set-piece coach for the first team, for the men's first team, that is. Um, Andy, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem, thanks for having me on. And um, I mean, I think the best way to start these, Andy, is by allowing the guests to introduce themselves. They generally do a better job than I do. Uh, sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Andy Parslow. I'm the first team set-piece coach at AFC Wimbledon, a uh, position I've held since February 2021. Um, so, joined midway through last season. Um, and yeah, I've held, held, the role, held the role since and um, yeah, still going at the moment. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to bring Andy on today is to talk about, I guess, specifically his role um, at Wimbledon, but also just in general, what, what a set-piece coach does. And it sounds uh, relatively obvious at first glance, but uh, I'm sure it's not. So um, I think a good way to kick this off, Andy, is I'd love to hear what your specific role is. Uh, in terms of as a set-piece coach? So essentially, I'm responsible for uh, the attacking and defensive set-pieces at Wimbledon, so that will essentially cover corners, free kicks, um, and long throws, which are quite common in, in League 1 or League 2 now for Wimbledon. Um, but those sorts of direct attempts at creating a goal-scoring opportunity from a dead ball situation, they're the areas that I'll focus on. Initially, when I got the job and I was basically told I could make it my own, whatever I wanted it to be, I wanted to look at kickoffs. I wanted to look at throw-ins in general play. I wanted to look at goal kicks, for example. But the reality is with Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, it's too much to try and focus in on specifics. Um, and goal kicks, a lot of them in League One tend to just go direct anyway. And we have second ball structures and that sort of thing. So I'll focus primarily on corners, free kicks and long throws. Um, and yeah, for and against. Okay, so talk us through the process of how you break uh, down a set piece. I guess from where it starts to you inserting yourself into the development of that set piece and hopefully I guess the end product. Yeah, so I've I've never been a big believer in generic predetermined routines. Um, the way that I always describe it is a routine or a, an idea for a, let's say a corner is a solution to a problem. Now that solution isn't going to fit every problem. The analogy that I use is maths. If I'm going to ask you a maths question, you can't come to me already saying that the answer is seven because you don't know what the question is yet. So the solution you have might work for some problems, but it's not going to work for every problem. So when you look to devise a routine or an idea, it needs to be specific to the opponent you're about to face. So a solution that fits the problem because teams defend set pieces differently. Some will go with two zonal players. Some will go with three, four, five. You see teams with complete zonal marking. You see teams with complete man marking. So you've got to make sure that what you're going to do suits the weaknesses of the opponent that you're about to face. So that's always the start point is, is how do the opposition set up? What's their structure? So this is if I'm going to attack against them. What's their structure? How strong is their structure? What are the potential weaknesses? And how can I use our strengths to try and exploit those weaknesses? So what principles do you look to achieve in both attacking and defending set pieces? So I'm sure obviously there'll be different principles but I'm wondering if there's an overarching theme broadly speaking that you that you look to hit with your set pieces there, there will be generic trends um, between all teams but all teams will be subtly different because everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses um, the principles from an attacking perspective ultimately from a corner the goal never moves 
and the corner flag never moves. So basically, it's going to be a ball in the box that you're going to try and head into the goal, or you might try and work something different from a short corner routine. But that always stays the same. And if we try and reinvent the wheel, we're going to overcomplicate it. This is a lesson that I learned in the early stages of my role with Wimbledon. It was my first role as a first team coach and my first role as a set piece coach. Um, and I learned that I tried to overdo it in terms of detail and overdo it in terms of complexity. And the fixture list in League One, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, there wasn't enough time to embed everything that I wanted to embed. So the first principle is simplicity. The players have to take on so much information from an in-possession perspective, out-of-possession perspective, transition, and then you've got set-piece on top of it as well. Add to that their own individual things they want to bring to the table, their own pre-game routines, everything that they, that they want to do as well. There's just a lot going on, and to try and overdo it or provide as much complexity as possible to try and disorganise an opponent, it's better just to keep it as simple as possible, but still trying to hurt the, the strengths of weaknesses, or still trying to hurt the weaknesses of the opponent. The other principles, again, it varies on who, you, on who you're playing against. Personally, I like dynamic movement. I think from an attacking perspective, or more from a defensive perspective, I guess, if I'm marking an opponent and he starts, let's say, for example, on the penalty spot and he runs to the near post, it's quite straightforward to defend. I stay with him. I make sure my foot is closer to the ball than his foot, so I've got the head start on him. It's simple to, to mark. If my opponent is more dynamic, so he moves, let's say, from the penalty spot a few yards to his left, my right, away from the ball, automatically now my eyes move away from the ball towards the man. So now I can't see where the ball is. And I don't know when it's going to come in. If he then stops, naturally, I'll look back at the ball. So now I can't see my opponent. So by adding a few different types of movements in, stop starts, changes of direction, dynamic different things, I create more problems. Now, the more problems or more decisions that I as a defender have to make, the higher the probability that one of those will be wrong. Or maybe even two of those will be wrong. The more wrong decisions I make, the increased likelihood that a goal is going to happen and I'm going to make a mistake where my man can capitalise. So trying to create as many decisions as possible is a principle in itself. I try and simplify by, I call it being dynamic. And being dynamic just has all that little detail attached to it for the players to understand. It takes a bit of time to, to get that into the players, but because sometimes I think they feel a bit silly bouncing around in the penalty area before it happens and trying to take him off, take, take, take their eyes off the ball. Um, but it's something that, like I said, it creates more problems for the opponent. It's better for us. That's really interesting. And interestingly, you, you lock in on not overcomplicating it during the week, keeping it simple. And I think that is on to, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what your weekly schedule looks like. And then I think based from that, I would love to hear how you go about, you said that you don't really have those set routines. So how do you go about coaching, coaching these, these set pieces? Mm. Um, I try and do as much work in the shadows as I can because, again, as, as mentioned already, the fixture schedule is so congested. I haven't got time to... I, I can't do 30, 40-minute sessions a couple of times a week before a game because there are plenty of other things that the players need to be doing in terms of their recovery from previous games but also their tactical prep for, for, for the next game. So I'm very much aware set pieces are not the player's favourite thing to do. It tends to be the last thing you do on a Friday, a day before a game, and the players are starting to sort of check their watches, thinking, come on, we want to get away, we want to have lunch. So it's trying to keep it fresh and engaging is really important. Um, the schedule itself, like I said, I'll try and do as much in the shadows as I can. So I will have private chats with players, one-to-one, -one, small groups, little drive-bys, or in 11v11 sessions that they're doing with a, a different tactical theme. 
I'll try and work a corner, an error free kick or a throw in just so we get practice at how we defend them or how we attack them principally. Um, and so it basically, each time I'm doing that, it's taking a little bit of time off of the session on the Friday where I would have to go through that detail. Um, I also like to do a, a set piece meeting with the squad um, before we go out to train. So on a Friday morning, I'll do my, my meeting where I'll go through the strengths and weaknesses of the opponent, what they try to do, how we can stop that, what their weaknesses are, how we can exploit them. Then when we go and do the work on the Friday on the pitch, the players know why we're doing what we're doing. So if I'm saying, I want us to attack this area, I want you to do this movement in this way at this time, the players won't then turn around and say, well, what are we doing that for? Because they're just going to do that. Well, I've already shown them clips of them doing or them being um, exposed at that or being exploited in that way. So the players automatically think, okay, I know why we're doing this. And it's going it, to, it just gives them a little bit more confidence, I guess, in what we're doing um, because they've got that reasoning behind it. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, it'll just be, it'll be private chats with players individually or small groups by WhatsApp. I, like, I might see a, a, I don't know whether it be a defensive attacking thing, something that happens in the Premier League, Champions League, or, or even in the Football League, and I'll just get the clip and send it to a player and just say, um, look at this movement here or look at where he started his movement here. And it just it just adds little layers here and there. So but th this takes zero time away from the general coaching team from what they're, they're trying to do as well. So um, ultimately, to to the supporters, to, to the players, to the staff or to anyone really, really concerned, how I go about doing it doesn't matter. It's the outcome at the end of it that's important. So if I do all this little work in the shadows and no one's seen me do it, but the outcome on a Saturday is we score a set of piece and we don't concede one. That's fine. They, like how how I go about it isn't as important to them. I think uh, it's. I feel that like potentially with fans, I mean, set piece coaches is a pretty niche, um, or certainly appears at first a pretty niche, um, you know, speciality as a coach to have. I feel like a lot of fans turn their nose up at when they hear their club has got a set piece coach or a throwing coach or whatever it is. Mm. Um, I'd be interested to hear what your experience has been in terms of getting buy-in from the players and the other coaches, is it something that you come in and straight away they're like, yep, this is great, this is exactly what we need? Or is it that they slowly start seeing the results that you have put in place over the season, maybe the goals that they're scoring, maybe the clean sheets they're keeping mm. from set pieces? Um, so how, how have you found the process of getting buy-in? I think it's, I think it's been mixed. It was difficult to begin with. I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I was brought up from the academy. So I was coaching the under-14s at the time. Um, and I was brought into a first-team environment. The only reason I was given the role is I developed a bit of a reputation for set pieces in the, the group I was working with at the time, um, who did particularly well at them. I presented a couple of things to the previous manager um, during lockdown on where I felt the deficiencies were in their set pieces, how I felt I could add something. Um, at the time, the manager was interested, but we'd just gone through a global pandemic and clubs were looking to get rid of staff rather than bring staff in. So it wasn't something they could go for at the time. Uh, then that manager lost his job and, and Mark Robinson took over, um, who was very keen on what I'd presented. Um, so looked to, to get me involved. So the difficulty initially for buy-in was, I've come from the academy, so I've got no first-team experience. There's never been a set-piece coach, probably in League One before, um, but certainly at Wimbledon. Um, got no playing experience. So it's it's a difficult sell straight away. And I'd say the players, there was an, an equal balance between cautious scepticism and cautious intrigue. So it was very much a case of, okay, we'll, like, we'll give this a go. 
but we're going to need to see, like, we're, we're going to test you, we're going to push you. And that was absolutely perfect for me because it really tested the strength of my conviction. I had to be absolutely certain about everything that I was doing and saying because I guarantee, and this is the difference of working with kids and working with adults, the, 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 adult, the senior players, they will challenge as much as possible um, and it ultimately gets you to a better solution. So I found that really um, challenging but positive at the same time because it, it allowed me to grow a lot in a, in a short space of time. Um, we struggled to begin with to score. Um, I think we probably went about probably about twelve games without without scoring a goal. And when we did score, it was the flukiest. Like I, I can't even say it was exactly what we planned. It was that there was an element of fortune about it, but it just gave a massive sort of lift, like weight off the shoulder of, of everyone because I think we felt the pressure at the time. Um, and then goals just started to, to 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 fly in, and you could just see the players doing everything with more conviction because they believed a lot more in what I was telling them to to do, asking them to do. Um, so that. That's been a gradual process then. This season, I mean, Wimbledon were a club, well, historically, were excellent at set pieces. If you think back to the, to the old Wimbledon, in the last few seasons, they've been abysmal, absolutely abysmal. So, for example, in the, um, the season that was curtailed uh, due to COVID, they conceded 14 times from a set piece, um, which was less than we can, sorry, more than we conceded in the whole season this time round. And that was with sort of 60% of the games played. Um, they'd only scored five times from a set piece that season, which was 23rd out of 23. And I say 23 because Berry had been expelled. By contrast, this season we'd scored 18, um, which put us as joint sixth in the league. So there was a ma- there was a massive disparity in where we were to where we got to for, for this season. Um, so trying to get them to improve wasn't the hardest part because they couldn't they couldn't get much worse from from where they were. Um, and I think that's something that helped with the the buying of the supporters as well. They sort of ridiculed their own team a little bit um, for how poor they'd been at set pieces. Um, I do think it was a benefit to me that there were no fans in the stadium um, for the the second half of the season when I came in, because with the first sort of twelve games of of not scoring from one, I can imagine there would have been a fair bit of heckling coming my way, and rightly so because we weren't we weren't good enough at the time. But that allowed me to to grow and learn and improve and get to a point where um where we're much better. And again, by by comparison, so. We were sort of the worst in the league beforehand. Uh, I got the job in Feb 2021 and by September, or no, I think it's October 2021, so in the new season, we scored the most goals in the country from set pieces. So the growth was was huge in that time. Um, and naturally, as with anything in football, particularly in modern sort of football and, and society as well, you can't argue results. Everything's done by numbers. So when our numbers have gone from there to where they got to, it's difficult to have any sort of argument against it. And I think that got, that got the buy-in from there. The role of a set-piece coach in general... I think the perception in the media and among supporters generally is is a little bit wrong. I think that um, there will be technical errors made at every single level of the game, whether it's the Champions League or League Two, the conference, whatever. There will be corners that don't beat the first man. There'll be corners that go out and play the far side because ultimately football is played by humans. It's not played by robots. So they make mistakes. You'll get a corner in the 91st minute and there's a lot of pressure on it. It might be to, to equalise or to win the game or, or whatever. There's a lot of pressure on it. Bear in mind the players have just played 91 minutes of football so far. They're fatigued. Things aren't going to be perfect and there will be times when that execution is just off. You think about technical areas made all over the pitch. When it comes down to this isolated action, it does happen. And there is work that set-piece coaches can do on that in helping technical play or helping technical execution. But ultimately... That's the player's bag. So 
a set piece coach going in at let's say Man United. So they've got Eric Ramsey that does this. Eric Ramsey isn't going to coach Cristiano Ronaldo or Harry Maguire on how to head the ball into the goal because they're fine at that. That's a strength of theirs. What the job of the set-piece coach is to do is to work situations and create conditions where those players get into the right area at the right time with the right delivery and the right strategy that allows them to do what they do best. I think it was, I think it was Carlo Ancelotti said it about, about coaching Real Madrid. He said he's never going to coach Ronaldo to score goals because Ronaldo does fine. He's got to make sure that his team get Ronaldo the ball in the right situations so he can do what he does best. That's the role of a set-piece coach from set pieces is to develop the strategy, develop the principles, develop the ideas that allows the players to use their strengths in the best possible situation, ideally exploiting an opponent's weakness at the time. And from a defensive perspective, it's the set-piece coach's role to prepare the players as best as possible to deal with the threats that are going to come their way. Now, it might be that you've got an, op an opponent, let's say Van Dyke, for example. Van Dyke is a monster in the air and there will be times where he will win headers against your team. It doesn't matter who you've got in your team. He will win headers against them. You've got to make sure you do everything you possibly can to prepare the players that are going to deal with him, that they know what to expect and that they can disrupt him because stopping him is a, is a big ask. But disrupt him enough that you can stop him from getting the ideal execution that he wants. So everything is about the preparation. Then when it comes to the execution, that's where it moves over to the players. Like I said, the set-piece set coach can help with that sort of thing, but it's the strategy that is the most important thing from a set-piece coach's perspective. The execution then largely comes from the players. So, how many, I mean, I guess you probably say as many as possible, but when you're assessing sort of how your team is doing or your job in general, how, how well you're doing, how many chances are you sort of looking at per set-piece, maybe it's per corner, maybe it's per free kick, how many chances created are you looking at where you're like, this is a good ratio? I think you get a feel for it and sort of as, as the game goes on, I think you get a feel for when you're, you're providing a threat. So you, you might not have had necessarily a, like a glaring opportunity, but and you certainly sense it when it's against you, when you think we've got away with a few here. Like, yes, I mean, technically, if a corner comes in against you and the header crashes off the crossbar and goes out of play, Technically, you've defended the set piece because it hasn't gone in the goal. But in reality, you know, no, we, we look a little bit vulnerable here. So I think you get a feel for it without it becoming too objective during the game. I think you get more subjective feeling from it. I think over the course of the season, I do think that total goals scored, total goals conceded are a bit weak as a measure. The reason being, um, so I'll take Man City, for example. Man City, I think, have scored the most set pieces in the Premier League. and I think they might have conceded the least as well. Man City probably get more set pieces than anyone because their players, Grealish gets hacked down all the time, so does Sterling, so does De Bruyne. They will get more corners than most teams because they attack an awful lot more than most teams. And in the same breath, they will defend significantly less set pieces than, say, Norwich because they defend much further up the pitch and they have much fewer chances against them. So they'll have so the, the total amount of goals scored and conceded isn't necessarily the best measure. That said, if you see a team that's sort of further down in the league that's up there with the most goals scored or the, the least goals conceded, you could probably tell they're doing quite well. I think a better measure is conversion rate. So the amount of goals scored relative to the amount of corners awarded or free kicks awarded. So you can see how many chances it takes that team to score a goal or create a goal scoring opportunity. I think that gives a better measure. Now, it'd be great if I could now back this up with stats from the Premier League and my league of what every team's... I haven't got that. And I started to do that this season, actually, 
at the beginning of the season where I would go through after every game week, every single team in, in League One's corners and free kicks for and against and plot how many goals scored, how many goals conceded and sort of work a conversion league table. Then Saturday, Tuesday hit, Papa John's, Carabao Cup, FA Cup, league games and it just became too much and I, I felt as though it was more important for me to, to focus on my own team than worrying about how we're doing in comparison to everyone else. I thought if we're scoring and we're not conceding, then then I'm, I'm probably doing fine. Um, but for me, that efficiency, that conversion is probably the best um, the best measure of, of how effective a team is relative to everyone else in the league. Have you found that corners, um, free kicks, um, I'd be interested to hear, first of all, do you have an opinion as to like, which are more threatening situations? Uh, I'm assuming corners, but I just want to put that out there. But secondly, are there different um, different principles for how you would defend a corner to a, a free kick or how you would attack corner? Yeah, there has to be um, because of location on the pitch. The corner always comes from the same position, whereas a free kick, a wide free kick can come from a variety. And also if it moves slightly infield to a more central area or in the half space, um, the sort of location of where the set piece is taken from will... I mean, it won't determine the principles of, of attack or defence, but it will it will have a significant weighting in, in how you're going to approach it. And you need to make sure, certainly from a defensive perspective, that you know what your defensive structure looks like based on each ball position. Now, I'm not talking about every blade, blade of grass, but wide, high, wide, deep, central, right half space, left half space, just so they know, because certainly the higher up you go, if a team's setting up and it's not in the optimal way to defend that particular area, a good team will exploit it without a doubt. And I think that's the or one of the battles for a set-piece coach is to try and teach the players to recognise those situations because players are very, they, they like to be told what to do and they like to follow instructions. So with that, there doesn't become an awful lot of, um, I guess, free decision-making on the pitch um, because they like to follow what they've, what they've been told. Um, because ultimately, then it's not their responsibility as such. They're just following what, what, what they've been asked to do. Um, but teaching them to be able to recognise situations and think, I, I, I think this is a good solution to this problem. So we've got a free kick in the right half space and it's quite far away from goal. They're defending with a really high line, but they're defending it as if it's a wide free kick. So they've gone all the way over to one side and there's loads of space for us to go and attack sort of in a straight line. So we might be able to work something there instead. So having players that can recognise, there are several players that can do, I think that can become a very dangerous combination if you've got a good strategy, but also players that can, um, I guess, innovate to a certain extent and, and, and see, see situations like that. Um, but the principles for attacking free kicks will, will certainly be different to, to attacking corners. It will still be around your movement, around your position and around attacking the ball, how you're going to manipulate the strengths and weaknesses of the opposition. Um, but it will, it will look different to corners of free kicks. In terms of what's more dangerous... I'm biased based on our own stats. So we, we finished um, joint first in the country for goals scored from wide free kicks this season. So I'm a little bit biased towards them as a, a more effective route to goal. But a lot of teams score a lot more from corners than they do from free kicks. And personally, I feel more vulnerable defensively from a corner than I do from a wide free kick. So it's the opposite from how I feel from an attacking perspective. Um, so I think it's probably an individual preference, but I, I would say... Probably corners yield more goals than, than, than free kicks. I, I don't tend to count direct 
shots at goal. Um, I just think that's more of a, like if you've got James Ward-Prowse, for example, that's not a measure of how effective a team are at attacking a set piece. They've got someone that's exceptional at that, um, at that, that, that striking a goal. Um, but it's not really a, it's not a great measure of, of strategy or, or, or effectiveness, in my opinion. It feels a little bit like, I mean, football in open play is a game of so many variables and it feels like set pieces is something that's so different to a lot of other things in the game. And I wonder where you get your inspiration from. Um, is it from just watching other successful set pieces or are you even looking at, you know, I guess like American sports, like NFL and basketball, where things are a lot more stop-start and essentially a lot more coordinated in terms of running plays? Mm-hmm. Um, I think inspiration comes in a lot of forms, to be honest. So certainly, yeah, I'll, I'll watch an awful lot of set pieces of a number of different teams, not just obviously the opponents I'm going to face. Um, and just and steal ideas, really. Like it's, it, I think it's quite a common term that the best coaches are the best thieves. Um, it's no different for set pieces as it is for, for, for open play coaching. I think you'll see something. And again, it, it's really important to come away from the idea that if a goal hasn't been scored, the set piece hasn't worked. I think the very first corner that, that I had at Wimbledon, everything worked absolutely perfectly. It could not have gone more to the script. But the header at the far post, instead of heading it in, he just headed it wide. But the routine, the idea, I know was successful because we got into the position. It was the execution then that was off. So I'll look at corners, free kicks, whatever, but I won't just look at goals scored. I'll tend to look at just anything that I can and just see well, if that didn't work, why didn't it work? What would have needed to have been in place for it to work? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. Um, so you'll get inspiration through through analysis of a lot of other things. I think I think you get inspiration through results as well. So when you see a strategy that you've, you've developed come off in a game that leads to a goal that contributes to a result, that inspires you just to go and do it again and again and again. Um, so I think it, it, it comes through there as well. But also, I think it just comes through a, through a variety of different ways, but seeing different things. I like to see different things. So Brentford do a lot of different things. So Brentford this season, for their attacking corners, have left no one back on the halfway line. So they have all 11, all 10 outfield players up either in or around the box. So they tend to have three players on the edge of the box. Um, and basically it means that if the opposition, let's say the opposition defend with two zonal players, that means of their 10 outfield players, They've only got eight now free to pick up players. So they have to leave two free. One will always be the taker. So that's one That's one taken care of already. They've got to leave at least one other free. Who that player is will depend on the team, but it basically means with Brentford positioning all of their players up to the edge of the box, they have more free men. They might use those free men to run into the box. It will tend to be the ones on the edge that the opposition would leave free. But it also means when the ball's headed out, because teams tend to defend with all, all 11 players back. Brentford are in a position to sustain the attack really well because they've got players around the box. So as soon as it comes out, it goes straight back in. So from second phases now, they're going to be a lot more threatening. The flip side of that is it does leave them vulnerable in the counter-attack. And we've had teams do that against us this season, set up like that against us. And it's always excited me because I think we're going to we're gonna hurt you in transition. We're going to be able to hurt you on the break. Um, obviously, the strategy for that team is you run hard back towards your own goal to make sure that doesn't happen. But I like seeing different things, like different types of movements, um, just something just a little bit different now you'll see sometimes you'll see like, I'll get sent clips of teams in like the Finnish second division that will have 
Uh, there was one last season where it was like a ring of ring of roses, like they're spinning around in a circle before the corner's taken and they all just sprint towards goal. It's great. It's great. It's something different. But ultimately, they still just had a player that runs to the near post, to the middle, to the far post and, and got to the penalty spot. The end result has still been the same. Like I said, the position of the corner and the position of the goal never changes. They just found something a bit different that gets you there. Now, if that doesn't come off, everyone's looking and saying, well, that's it's stupid. But sometimes it does come off and, and you look like a genius. But different things just... I think they excite you and, and, and sort of get your juices going a little bit to, to go and find yeah innovative ways without going too sort of around the houses because like I said the, the simplicity is still really important as well. Is there any coaches listening to this who potentially don't have the resources to get a set piece coach? I mean what do you recommend for, for these, these coaches because obviously they're not going to be able to change the set piece every time um, they play against a team or potentially they may but what would you recommend to, to these coaches I think it's a difficult one because my solution would be get one just find the money to get one um, I think when you um, obviously clubs will have varying degrees of resources but when you look at the um, the outcome or the results of the amount of goals scored or conceded pre-set piece coach to the amount of goals scored or conceded with a set-piece coach. And you see the difference. Let's say, for example, let's say the difference is eight goals in, in goals scored per season. So an eight-goal increase with a set-piece coach and without. If you distribute those eight goals over, let's not say eight games, because that would be um, just weighting it too much in, in our favour. Let's say over six games. Let's say they score a couple in, in, in two games. The points difference that those goals can change could be up to, I, I don't know, it could, it could be anything, but you might be able to get, let's say, an extra eight, ten points a season just through that extra focus. Now, if you look at any team's position in the league, a difference of eight to ten points could be massive for so many, for so many different teams. If that's the case, if you can, obviously you can't guarantee that that's going to be the difference, but if you can load the odds in your favour by finding resources to get someone in that can contribute to making that difference... It has to be worth it. It has to be worth it. I think the difficulty for, for managers is relinquishing control. And I feel like I'd be exactly the same if I was in their position as a manager. Once you relinquish that control, because it's usually the manager or the assistant that will take charge of set pieces, you're, well, you're trusting the person to be able to do it and you're yeah, pass it, passing over control. And I think that can be quite difficult for, for managers to do. I was very fortunate. I had a very open-minded manager that, that looked to get me in. Um, but if you're, like, if you're still not able to get the resources, essentially you've, you've got to dedicate the time. You have to dedicate the time to analysing what your strengths are as a team. Because, And again, I was going to say to analyse your opponent's weaknesses, but not everyone will have access to video analysis and opposition footage as well. You've got to look at the strengths of your team and how you can get the best players in the best positions as often as possible um, with obviously the right delivery and the right strategy to... I can only ever say load the odds in your favour because you can never guarantee something's going to happen. Because again, like I said, players are human. They'll like some randomly in a game, a player will just do something different, whether it's on the, on the opposition team or on your team. Sometimes it works in your favour, sometimes it work, works against you. But you can only really load the odds in your favour by, as I said, getting the best players in the best positions at the right time to increase the probability you're going to score. So take the time to analyse what your strengths and weaknesses are. You will find players in your team that have a better leap or better in the air than players that are taller than them. 
So you can use them because I guarantee that will create a mismatch when you set up against an opponent. So opposition will set up with their markers. Naturally, the biggest go with the biggest, medium go with medium, small go with small. It's what always happens. You might have someone that's of medium height, but he's much better in the air than someone, I don't know, four inches taller than them. That's where your mismatch is. So you don't then get that taller player to go and attack the ball. Ideally, what you do is you use him as a distraction, send him somewhere else and get that smaller player who's better in the air to go and attack instead. So you, again, you, you have to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think every, like Tim Cahill, when he was at Everton, for example, he wasn't the biggest player, but he was unbelievable in the air, scored loads and loads of headers. So that's the sort of player that you would look to use instead. Um, I think as well as that long throws as well, test every player on your team and see how far they can throw the ball. Because a long throw in the final third into the box, and it's, listen, it's not the sexiest of ways to score a goal, but ultimately every goal equals one. And if it's an opportunity that can develop a bit of chaos in the opposition box, bear in mind defensive teams like simplicity, they like organisation. Chaos is not a defensive team's friend. So throwing a ball into the box with like either a flat trajectory, loop trajectory, causes chaos and they don't like it. That can create corners for you. It can create penalties. It can, it can, it can create goals. So... I would test every single player in your team to see how far they can throw the ball. And the reason why I say that is we had a situation last season where we had a player, um, our right back had a, a longish throw and it was causing the team we were playing against problems. I had a debate with one of our first in coaches at halftime saying, and it was a right back who, who had the long throw. I had a debate with our coach or one of our coaches at halftime saying, I think we should do this from both sides of the pitch in the final third. And he was saying, no, suicide you don't put your right back over onto the left side of the pitch to take a throw in the final third and I said well you do if it's a corner you, if he's your corner taker you take it from that side you're looking at a yard difference or two yards difference so why can't you do it we went back and forth back and forth back and forth ultimately we thought we'd open it up to the players we opened it up to the players in the change room at half time I think the score was nil-nil at the time but we were causing real problems and bear in mind we've probably spent seven or eight minutes debating this already as staff and our left back puts his hand up and goes I've got a long throw but we didn't know this. We didn't know this going into the game. So the fact he never brought that up beforehand when we talked about long throws by just volunteering the information saying, oh no, I, I can do that as well. We'll do it, from, we can do it both, from both sides. We could have saved ourselves so much time if we just tested it in advance. If we'd gone in and said, right, I need everyone just to throw as far as they can and we'll see who's got what. Having that as a, um, as a weapon in your armory is, it can be very useful. It can be, you don't need it like a, Massive great strategy for a long throw. Ultimately, you're throwing the ball into the box. It's more the, the second phase that's, that's going to be important than, than the first phase, but that would be another thing I'd look at for coaches with not a lot of resources. Test your players out and see who's got that in their, in their, in their locker as well. Um, and yeah. Brilliant. So much, uh, so much information there and a lot to, to think about and to, and to process. Um, I think the last question I, I have for you today, Andy, and I think a nice way to wrap this up is obviously you're doing this at a level where I'm assuming set-piece coaching is still a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, first of all, I'd love to know if that's right or not. And I wonder if even going further forward, even talking about Premier League, uh, whether that's still an anomaly or the set-piece coaches are becoming more common. It's certainly growing. It's very rare in, in League One where I've been working. Um, I think I'm probably the only one in League One. Um, in the Championship, I'm not so sure. In the Premier League, I know there's a few. I know Arsenal have one, Man United have one, Brentford have one. Um, and obviously, every club has someone responsible for them, but it tends to be someone, it, like the goalkeeper coach, for example, will just tag on defensive set pieces or maybe even attack into to what they're doing as well. I think, um, I do think it's something that's going to grow. Um, 
particularly when you look at the the results of teams with set piece coaches um, and the, the, the improvement that could be made. Um, so I do think we'll see a situation five years down the line where certainly every Premier League team has one, and I think it will filter further down the further down the pyramid as well. I think certainly teams with less resources are less likely to. So when you get to League One, League Two, it is going to be less common. But I mean, the size of some of the clubs in League One at the moment is ridiculous. So there are plenty of resources there as well. But I think, like I said, ultimately it's always going to come down to results, um, to the marginal gains that teams are finding by using this sort of a um, this sort of a method. Um, so I do think it will it will become more more prevalent in the game, um, and I think it should be as well. I, th- I think we have we have specialist coaches for for goalkeeping. Um, this is an area where differences can certainly be made and. I mean, you look. You just you just have to look at the top of the Premier League at the moment. The race for the top four and the race for for, for the title, and even I guess relegation as well. The differences are so fine at the moment that teams need to find any sort of way they can to gain any sort of advantage. And if getting in a set piece coach to do that is 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 a possible option, then I, I think it's something teams are going to look to to take. And I do think it will become a lot more common. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for uh, coming on today. Where can people find you if they want to connect? I'm a little bit difficult to find because I'm not on social media. Um, I don't like social media. I don't like Twitter. I despise Instagram. Um, I have Facebook, but I haven't used it for years. I'm on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me just because it's a professional network. So it's different to the um, the toxic world of, of, of other uh, social net- uh, social media sites. Um, to be honest, my favourite way for someone to get in contact with me would be to write a letter. Write a letter to me at the club and I promise you I will write back. The reason being, I think that communication is so easy now. It's so easy for people just to send off 50 direct messages on whatever social media platform without necessarily taking the time to consider what it is they're writing, what they want to try and get across and I guess make it a bit more personal Whereas a handwritten letter, and it's handwritten, not typed, by the way, um, is just so much more personal. There's so much more effort, and I think it will separate those that just do it because they because it's easy, and those that genuinely want to get some information, some good quality information. Um, so I would, yeah, handwritten letter to me. That would be that would be the best way. <laughs> I can safely say I've never had that answer before. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Andy, and. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening. No problem. Thanks for having me on.